Another edition of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah Shan, joined by Tim Foss and Ari Lillianwall. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, guys. We have a Champions League draw. Let's just get started right there. The Sounders are going to be uh, playing CD Olympia of Honduras. And that's going to start sometime between the 18th and 20th. Uh, first leg will be in Teguja. Galpa, I think is, I'm sure I totally butchered that. And then the second leg will be in Seattle uh, between the 25th and 27th of February. Uh, I would imagine we'd all like it to be earlier, uh, like the 25th, since the first MLS game is going to be on March 1st. But anyway, CD Olympia, let's just get started there. This is, you know, it's tempting to say that the Sounders got a dream draw. And I suppose that from a perspective of how much worse it could be. And, you know, LAFC, for instance, is going to potentially play, will have to potentially beat four uh, Liga MX teams all if they are to win the title. The Sounders, worst case scenario, will only have to play two. Uh, the earliest they would have played, play one is in the semifinals. But that kind of suggests that these other teams in their side of the bracket are not good, but I don't know that that's true. Starting with Olympia, might be the most decorated team in all of Central America. They've actually won uh, the CONCACAF, not Champions League, but the precursor, one of the precursors of the Champions League. Uh, they've won two CONCACAF titles, admittedly not since the 1980s, uh, but they have a ton of domestic titles. Their roster is stocked full of Honduras internationals. They have a bunch of former MLS guys. Jerry Bankston, if you remember that name from New England Revolution fame. Uh, but it's 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 an interesting team that they'll be playing. Uh, and so I don't know. What do you guys what do you guys make of this of this draw for the Sounders? Well, my first reaction was uh, was a little disappointed they got a team that they had played before. And, Fair enough. Uh, they just played them before in the uh, 2015 edition of the tournament and uh they uh they made it through that series but i I remember it being uh a difficult series yeah and uh the you know they they definitely had talented players at that time and their roster is pretty good this time around too yeah albert Um, elise scored two goals against the i was just gonna say uh uh albert elise was uh he was a handful in that series i remember him pretty much torching the Sounders. He got the two goals, but uh, he was also just all over the place getting chances the whole time. Uh, so they won't have to deal with him this time around. But, like, I think in general you can probably expect their roster to be roughly around that same talent level. So they're definitely not going to be an easy out. But at the same time, it's a team that you would think the Sounders can definitely hang with. Um, but, you know, it should be fun. I'm expecting the, uh, the customary level of CONCACAF Champions League shenanigans. These, uh, these series and these, this tournament as a whole is always an entertaining spectacle. So I'm looking forward to all that. Um, I know uh, the – so the Takuchikaba Airport, I remember. That's a storyline. Yeah, Siggy um, Schmid had stories yeah. about that thing. And there's all these videos online – uh, that show the approach, and basically what they ha- what a plane has to do is it has to make this steep bank turn, and then it flies over. I'm making motions with my hand, which you won't be able to see. Uh, it it 
flies over like houses basically and then makes this like very quick descent uh and so it's considered to be like the most dangerous airport in the world literally the most dangerous in the world yeah and that's if the weather is nice and last time the sounders went there was summer and this time it's gonna be february (laughs) yay (laughs) so good luck to everyone who makes that trip yeah i mean i'm hope hopefully uh Seems like they have the logistics measured out at this point. I don't think there's like actually that much to be worried about there, but it is a, it is a good, you know, people land there every day and they don't die. So yeah. But so it's take comfort in that. Yeah. Your thoughts on Olympia, Tim? Um, you know, like Ari was saying the last time they played in the champions league, it was definitely, you know, it was a wild couple of games. Um, I think, you know, they are the, 31 time champion of the Honduran league, which is that's a lot. Just 31. That's a lot of championships. Um, and like you can see when you watch the men's national team, the level throughout CONCACAF has definitely risen. And it's not just tough to play in, you know, any of those countries because of the shenanigans, whether that's fireworks or fire alarms being set off in the hotel. Um, The teams that they play against are good. Um, I definitely think the Sounders can probably hang with just about anyone. Uh, The only teams that I'd really actively worry about are some of the Mexican teams that fortunately most of them are on the other side of the bracket, save for, you know, Tigres, who they wouldn't even face until the semifinal. Uh, But it's definitely... Like, Olympia's a good team. They get through Olympia. They've got Saprisa ahead of them, like, potentially. Or Montreal. Montreal. Um, but, yeah, I think definitely some real challenges. I think it's going to be fun to watch, though. Yeah, you know, it's – I would say the match in Honduras is one of those where they would probably be thrilled to get out 0-0. Yeah. And they would probably even be satisfied to go home – you know, 2-1 or 1-0 losers. Yeah. Uh, because that is not an easy place to play. Last time – so the, let's talk about that 2015 meeting. Uh, it was actually in – I guess it was September. It wasn't August. But still, it was better weather. Uh, and the first of the two – it was in the group stage. First of two, the two legs was um, in Seattle. And that lineup, I was like – the lineup is, is, is like kind of a – Kind of a, a fun throwback lineup. Gonzalo Pineda, Brad Evans, Eric Freeberg, Roman Torres was a late uh, was a late sub, I believe, in that game. Uh, but it was it was not necessarily their A lineup. Uh, Lamar Nagel was in there. Uh, Troy Perkins was the goalkeeper that day. Uh, but the Sounders went down early, one zero on an Albert Elise uh, goal, and it stayed that way until the 90th minute, and there was a lot of shenanigans that led up to it. Lots of, you know, play acting, lots of, there was something like eight yellow cards in that game. And there was just, it was kind of a shenanigans-filled game. It was very concacafy. And then in the 90th minute, Aaron Kovar hawks a long throw. If you can put in your mind's eye the opposite side of what happened in the Columbus game. Uh, this last year and it the defender beats Brad Evans to the ball but who's standing at the back post Eric Freeberg nods it in game is tied Sounders are 
probably at that point feeling pretty happy to, to get a tie. But then in the 93rd minute or so, uh, Dylan Ramick is coming from deep in the penalty area, gets tackled from behind. Penalty to the Sounders. And I don't know, you, Ari, you want to take it from there? What happens after the penalty? Well, first of all, I think and it's important to know uh, what happened during the Freeburg goal because that was really funny because a guy on Olympia uh, basically dove and had to get, you know, classic CONCACAF stretchered off the field with an injury. Yes. And, you know, all the fans thought he was diving, so they're just letting this guy have it while he's standing near the sideline. So he turns around and he starts to give it back to the fans, and he's like – he, like, stands up and he's basically taunting them, like, yeah, no, you're right, I'm not actually hurt. Like, I'm a clock I just wasted. And literally, I kid you not, while he's, while he's in the process of doing that, he's got his back facing the field, uh, John with the fans – and while he's doing that, Kovar tosses it in and it gets deflected to Freeberg, who nods it home. So that I'll always remember uh, that, that, is, that is good color. The guy uh, taunting the crowd while his team was getting scored on. Um, good instance of some soccer karma right there. Uh, and then, uh, as you mentioned, um, Remick wins the PK in stoppage time just a few minutes later. Brad Evans steps up to the spot, drills it. He, he starts John at the goalie because tension's a bit high the whole game. There was a lot going on. Uh, and the goalie, which I've never, uh, never seen this before or since, uh, in a moment of uh, rage, kicks the ball at Brad Evans, <laughs> dodges it, and it leads to a whole big, a big thing down by the goal, uh, pushing, shoving, smack talking everyone's going at it there's a lot I was uh, I found this video on YouTube that I posted Twitter last night of a guy who uh, got a great angle of the whole thing and you can really uh, see everyone crashing in and, and going at it and Brad Evans Lamar Nagel gets heated Lamar Nagel gets heated Dylan Remick Torres gets heated Dylan Remick come, that was my favorite part was Dylan Remick coming in to play Peacemaker uh, but there was a whole lot Michael Azira was restraining Brad Evans who, Michael Azira Michael Azira was restraining Brad Evans, who was going at it with, uh, like, four different guys. It was a whole thing. But, you know, it's really – it was a great illustration of what makes uh, CONCACAF Champions League CONCACAF Champions League. You're, uh, you never know what you're going to see, and it's always entertaining. Even, uh, even if it's unpredictable and you have no idea what that entertainment is going to be, like, you're always bound to, to see some weird shenanigans going on. Yeah, that was it was it was definitely one of the more memorable games in in Sounders Champions League history. I feel like it was actually a pretty decent crowd too. Yeah. Um oh. which wasn't always the case for those early round or those uh group stage matches for Champions League. Uh but yeah, I one of the things I had forgotten about and I was I was reading the story actually that I wrote about that game was that originally what happened after the penalty was Gonzalo Pineda originally took the ball and was going to take the kick. And I guess Siggy was like yelling, yelling, yelling for Brad to take it. And so Brad basically took the ball from, from Gonzo and they were kind of arguing back and forth, which just like amped up the whole tension of the, of the situation. And I want to say like the penalty happened in the 93rd minute and Evans didn't score until like the 97th minute because the goal, because everyone, the goalkeeper was basically just standing there refusing him to like take the penalty. Right. That's what started the whole thing. That's why 
Brad was right the time after he made it. Yeah, and then and then of course a week later they they played again and uh, the Sounders lost that leg, which was one they lost that leg one zero, but then they managed to advance out of the group anyway because they beat the Whitecaps twice, including once in Vancouver when they were in like this horrible tailspin. Uh, it was like when they were really struggling uh, yeah. in the summer of 2015. If you remember, that was a kind of a kind of a nightmare summer. Um, but anyway, it was it was it was wild. Do you did you go to that game, Tim? Yeah, I was there, and I so one of the really striking things about that game was like I'd been to a lot of or plenty of the Champions League games prior to that. And there, yeah, there really had been pretty small crowds for most of them. And Olympia had a huge presence and they all were put in the hawk's nest. And like at kick, they, I don't know how they got fire extinguishers into the stadium, but they like laid down fire extinguisher, like smoke so that you couldn't see anyone. And then they lit flares. Nice. Who had lit flares. And it was like, just this huge, like, that was how that game started. And I remember I watched from ECS and was with friends who were like, oh, my God, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Because <laughs> then the penalty at the end of the game happened on that end where they were taking that penalty in front of the Olympia fans. Yeah. Um, yeah, that game was wild. That was definitely a fun game to be at. Yeah, it was. Um, the the funny the funny thing about this draw is that it it has the potential to be uh, like a stroll down memory lane uh, in a lot of ways. I, I honestly don't remember any of these games, but the Sounders played Saprissa, who is the potential uh, quarterfinal opponent, twice in 2010 during the group stage. They lost both those games, but Saprissa is another team who. Not a Mexican opponent, but they also have like a pretty impressive uh, resume, as it were. They they are traditionally one of, if not the top team. They're probably historically the best team in Costa Rica, who is itself uh, one of the, un, the kind of the slept on powerhouses of Central Amer- of uh, Concacaf is the teams that come out of out of Costa Rica, and they play in a stadium uh, that used to be much more notorious than it is now. It used to have artificial turf and it was kind of uh, historically this place no one wanted to play it was really loud the stadium shakes when when the fans get all excited Uh, but it now has grass which I guess has made it a little less notorious but their roster is also like full of former MLS players and Costa Rican internationals Um, one of the guys that's on there is um, a guy from the that you might know from the Whitecaps uh, Johan Venegas, uh, Christian Bolaños is on that team, Royal Miller, former uh, Portland Timber. Um, and then they have this kid, this 17-year-old kid, who apparently is is kind of a stud for them. Uh, his name's Manfred Ugalda. Uh, and I don't know, the Saprisa looks pretty dangerous. But man, even Montreal, as much as they, you know, they they've kind of fell apart last year. They finished ninth and there were something like negative 13 goal difference. Um, but they have a bunch of talented players. Ignacio Piotti is going to be back, um, or at least supposedly they're planning on having him back. Um, this guy, Lonis Lapinelli, 
do you know how to say his name? Uh, the the Lawness Lapalainen, Lapalainen, Lossie Lapalainen. There you go. Finish, finish messy, apparently. Finish messy. Yeah, I don't know. He's supposed to be stud, but uh, he was one on the 2200 22 for MLS. Um, but yeah, uh, and then Thierry Henry is their coach, which. You know, that's a good storyline, if nothing else. His last um, gig went really well, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, he did not do so hot in, in Nice. Um, but, yeah, I mean, do you guys make – what do you make of that – Who? which of those teams are, do you are – we, are we rooting for Montreal on that one? Who, who does Montreal have? Do they have uh, – The Priest. The Priest. Yeah. yeah. Have, that's who would play the winner of that. Of that yeah, season. okay. I would uh, – I would definitely be rooting for, for Montreal there. Montreal is uh, – it's not like they would be a super easy rollover type opponent, but just based on their recent MLS history, uh, I would think the Sounders have a better chance at, at, at topping them over two legs than Saprissa. Saprissa um, – they should be able to hang with two. Like, it's not like there's one opponent there that I would go into it feeling like Seattle has no chance. But I would think um, looking at that, you would want, you would want the impact if given the choice. Yeah. If for no other reason, you don't have to go going to Costa Rica is going to be a pain in the butt. Yeah. Easier travel. And I don't know, you know, but Maybe the impact are going to be a lot better this year than they usually are, but until proven otherwise, they're, they're the impact to me. They'll, uh, <laughs> they're, they, they have to earn their way out of their recent reputation. It, it feels like every year people are like, oh, the impact are going to be good. They have, they have Piotti and this, this guy and this guy, and they're going to be really improved and make the playoffs in the East. And, uh, I mean, they, they've made the playoffs a couple times over the last – few years but i i don't know i've never seen them as like a they're a mess more often than they are they're a mess more often than not yeah i think between travel being easier and like early in his time there Thierry Henry, i don't think like i feel like montreal is most often difficult because they're usually set to like sit deep and play on the counter and they're pretty good at that for the most part i have a hard time imagining Henry at the start of his tenure there is going to have him playing that way. I would anticipate him trying to play a little bit more open, which is going to leave the Sounders with a lot more opportunities. Uh, But I don't know. Champions League is sort of an opportunity to play teams you don't usually get to. So it would be cool to play Saprissa again, but yeah. It doesn't like the impact uh, when they've been in Champions League the last couple of times they they play pretty well. I'll say that. Like they had the big, uh, the Cameron Porter goal. Wasn't that? In- yeah. And they went to, I mean, they went, they were, they, they, they almost, they lost a final in I think the 2016 final in penalties. Right. Yeah. So it does seem like they either up their game or just get on these good roles when it comes to champions league. But I just think Saprice is, you know, a better, a better squad. Right. So if the Sounders can navigate those two games, they probably are going to face Tigris. But uh, Tigris doesn't – I mean, the Alianza is the, the first team they play. They're a Salvadorian. They're kind of the big Salvadorian team. 
Uh, and then the other game is New York City FC and San Carlos. San Carlos is kind of the Cinderella story of Champions League this year. They were a second division team uh, basically a year ago. Alvaro Saborio, who you may remember from RSL fame, uh, that was his boyhood club. He went there. He basically yanked them up to the first division. And then they actually and – he, and he played with them last year in the first division. Uh, they finished fourth in a pretty competitive league. Um, but he retired. And I'm not so sure that they're uh, capable of beating New York City FC. New York City FC doesn't have a coach. But their roster is absolutely stacked. I don't know that I, – I mean, I, I would imagine they're probably a better matchup for the Sounders, if only because they're not Tigres. But uh, New York City FC is no slouch either. That, that I would say either Tigres or New York City FC would be a challenge for the Sounders. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, I don't know. For me, overall, when, when I'm watching Champions League – uh, I, th- I think people put a lot of weight on MLS versus Liga MX. And in that way, um, I think Tigris is, is the matchup that people should want to see, you know, in the, in the sense of seeing how not just the Sounders, but just how MLS teams in general yeah. stack up. But for me, the way I try to look at it is not, uh, not put as much weight on an MLS team winning it as as nice as that would be to see we all want to see that but just on having good performances and showing that you can hang on that level that's like the most important thing to me so if it is a tigris or any other Liga mx team that uh the sounders are going to have to face um i think you know we, i just want to see them do well and show that they can hang on that level and, you know, even if an MLS team wins this thing, I don't think that's an indication in itself that MLS is now on par with Liga MX or whatever. Um, I think that, you know, the true sign of progress will just be consistently having our team yes. play well on that level and show that we can compete, you know, regardless of the final result. Yeah, I've been kind of saying that for a while, that it's not about a fluke you know, a fluke result. Like if RSL had won in 2012, I want to say if Montreal had won, huh? Or Toronto. Or uh, Toronto or any, if, even if all three of those MLS teams had won, I don't think that that inherently changes the equation. Maybe if all three had won, but um, it's, it's not about one team winning as don't get me wrong. It would be great to be able to say you're the first team that won it. But it's not about the, – the competitiveness between the leagues is not about one-off wins. It's about consistently getting to the final. It's about consistently uh, winning the final and being competitive, like you said. Uh, and, and MLS hasn't really been able to do that. They are doing it with more regularity, I think, which is positive. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Tigres right now is, is – the, the other funny thing about facing Tigres, the Sounders have experience with Tigres. They actually beat Tigres back in 2013 in the quarterfinals. Uh, they were, at the time, the first MLS team to eliminate a Mexican team from Champions League. And I don't know. I'm sure both of you guys have great – or at least Tim, I know for sure, was at that game where the Sounders scored this massive upset 
Why don't you walk us through that game a little bit? Um, so I remember kind of getting towards the end of the game and had gone in with you know, a little bit of excitement, but some trepidation. I remember vividly going to watch parties and getting watching the Sounders get waxed by Santos Laguna. So was not super excited about a game against a Liga MX team, but you know, going towards the end of the game really just sort of figured it was it was a wash. They were gonna lose. They were down two to or yeah, two to one, I guess, at that point probably. And Yedlin scored a just wild goal that I think gets diminished a bit in remembering now because it was followed by an even better Jimmy Traore goal and the Yedlin goal was sort of like this spark of oh maybe something could happen uh that I think that game has almost broken my brain in terms of optimism for the Sounders where it seems like anything could happen like yeah this was such a wild incredible game that yeah, you saw two of the best goals probably of that season in one game with both of them scoring full volleys from outside the box on quarter kicks. Yeah, the Jimmy Traore goal, I would say, still ranks as maybe the most amazing goal in Sounders history. I think most people... The what? I think most people put it there. Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, it was like a 35-yard volley off the underside of the crossbar to tie a game against a Mexican opponent. I mean, it was there's like just so many elements of it that were um, just frankly unbelievable at the time. I mean, Jimmy Traore, that's like the second goal he scored in his life. <laughs> crazy. crazy legs. Only scores in big games. That's, Only scores in big games. He might have a rule about it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess he also he did. I guess he scored another one for the Sounders, but that was later in that season, if I remember correctly. But uh, a late equalizer against Kansas City, for those of you keeping score at home, keeping track at home. Uh, but yeah, that was that game was crazy. And then the winner comes from Eddie Johnson on an, an I I just watched the highlight of it today on an absolutely impossible angle. He basically scores it. Uh, he beats the goalkeeper near post, almost from the side, from the end line. I mean, it's an insane goal. Uh, I'm not sure how he he pulled it off, but uh, I remember sitting next to uh, Richard Farley, who is uh, now with the Portland Timbers, uh, and he was saying he he was very impressed that he had been. He felt like Eddie Johnson had been kind of setting this up because he had been drifting farther and farther wide uh, from his position up top. Other funny detail about the game: Sammy Ochoa started at started at striker in that game. Like some of the deep cuts of Sounders rosters lore uh, really get brought up in these Champions League games. Which brings me uh, ever so we don't need to get into the permutations of what they would do in the final because that could be anyone. But the Sounders roster is quite in quite a state of flux right now they uh i'm I'm, my understanding is that harry ship has been signed which now brings them to 20 players but just one of those 20 players is a center back uh garth logaway talked a bit about uh their seeming lack of 
of rush to get more players under contract uh, at the annual business meeting. And, and he just doesn't seem to be like, he seems maybe not happy to wait, but he seems willing to wait until the CBA is, is effectively negotiated before he starts committing serious amounts of money to anyone. Uh, is this concerning you guys at all? Uh, not, not yet. I don't know. I mean, it's still relatively early in the off season. Yeah. And by this point, everyone should understand how Garth Lagerway operates. I mean, I feel like it's a movie we've seen a few times where <laughs> everyone's clamoring for them to make signings immediately. And he comes out and says, we're going to be uh, calculated. And uh, what are his uh, buzzwords? I don't know, quantifiable, objective, data-driven, uh, evidence-based, I don't know, whatever he... Yeah. He rattles off his phrases and he waits and there's all kinds of uh, all kinds of uproar about it. And then eventually it gets done. I mean, you know, they're going to have to sign a center back. It's going to happen. They're not. Uh, I just saw on Twitter uh, that they're talking to Kim Kihee, but there's not like a. An yeah, they, my understanding is they have an offer out to Kim Kihee, but uh, that he's not accepted it kind of speaks for itself I suppose right I mean it, from the sound of it he could probably get a much heftier salary moving overseas so I wouldn't necessarily expect or plan on him being back so I mean they literally like it's not like they're not going to sign somebody you know like they're <laughs> they they have to so they'll do that but I'll be I'll be more interested to see if they sign uh Victor Rodriguez replacement before um Champions League because uh, at the end of season press conference, reading between the lines, it really seemed like Garth was saying that they're not going to do that. And they kind of like the idea of uh, pushing Roldan higher up the field, you know, for. It, the- yeah. It, it, it struck me as an odd, like, it seems to me, like you look at the roster aside from center back, an attacking midfielder play someone who can presumably play across the midfield. Uh, seems to me to be the obvious need, but you're right. There didn't seem to be any indication from Garth that that's a super high priority for him. Yeah, and I uh, I can just see this coming from a mile away if they do that. Uh, if they if they go into Champions League with rolled on at that spot and then they get knocked out, there's going to be all this. Why didn't they sign a winger before Champions League? Blah blah blah. Uh, so really looking forward to that. Um, and then <laughs> Garth is going to. Uh, sign one in the next window and the team will probably take off and people are going to be like, why didn't he do it sooner? And he's going to be like, Oh, well, see, like we waited and made, uh, made rational objective database decisions. And uh, now we've got this guy who has our team playing. I mean, it's just, it's the scripts right in itself right now. Um, well, so he, but here's the thing. And I, I guess this is where um, I think that there's room to like, even if you, trust the process from a holistic roster building perspective. And I think we probably all do. I feel like there has to be like champions league does not come around every year. Uh, The champions league draw doesn't set up like this every year. And for me, it just, it's begging the sounders to just kind of go for it. Right. Like this is your chance. This is your chance to like, can you imagine like you know, he and I, he kind of gave me that ridiculous transform, transformer answer when I asked him about the MLS Cup final being 
transformative hosting it. But really, like, can you imagine what that does for the Sounders, like, relevance if they are hosting a Champions League final, you know, six months after hosting an MLS Cup final? Yeah. And, you know, it's a competition that they say uh, every time they're in it that they really want to win it. And I I believe them. uh, But, you know, there's going to have to be some some roster maneuvering. Yeah. Quite a bit of it if they're actually going to make uh, a run at it. But I think you're right. Like the way the bracket shaped out this year, you know, this, this is as good a chance as they're going to have to actually make that run. So, you know, I, they, they say they're planning on go going for it and I think they will go for it, but I mean, I don't know. What do you guys think as far as like, say they don't sign the Rodriguez replacement, like, do you think they can go into that with whatever new center back or center backs they sign and then rolled on as your winger? Like, is that, is that roster good enough to, to actually make that, that run towards winning it? So I think they can move rolled on to the wing. And I had been skeptical about that previously. And then after Jeremiah, Mark and I did a, roundtable discussion that that came up I sort of dug into some of his numbers and he's been really productive um more productive than most of the other guys that the Sounders have played at that spot when he's actually played in those positions um I think they can move him there and be successful but whether they keep him in that double pivot or they move him wide they've got to sign another starter at whichever position he's not playing I don't think that if they want to be competitive in Champions League and still, you know, not just sink in the league standings, they can't move rolled on out wide to be able to, you know, play Jordi Delem as the starter at the eight or, you know, dual sixes with Gustav. Like, I think they need to sign a legit starter at one of those spots. Yeah, so if rolled on is the winger, then doesn't that mean you have to sign a – another D mid like yeah probably a big money one so and then if you do that do you sign the v-rod replacement or is rolled on just your winger now I don't know we're gonna have to find out yeah Yeah, I mean I I mean I I think you could like I could see I could see them making a deep Champions League run with rolled on as a winger and either you know some kind of you know maybe you play uh, Jordy Dellum and Gustav Svensson on the road, and you have Danny Leva and Gustav Svensson at home, at home or something. I could see that potentially working, as long as you have a very good center back that you've brought in to play alongside Javier Arriaga. And I'll, the main reason I'm even remotely optimistic about that is because of the 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 golden triumvirate of Nico Ladero, Raul Ruiz Diaz, and uh, Jordan Morris, and like I, I dug the stat up last year. They, they're now 15-1-2 in games where those three start. And so if those three are starting, I mean, I suppose I'll give them a chance. I mean, a chance against anyone. I don't know if they're necessarily favorites, but, like, that's a, you know, that's a puncher's chance. So I, I think that they could get away with that with Roldan, at least in the short term, playing as a winger. And then especially if you have, like, some stud that you're going to bring in in the summer, it, it makes sense. But 
I'd feel a lot better if I knew who that second center back was going to be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I definitely agree with the, you know, like as long as Ladero and Rui Diaz and Jordan Morris are in there, like they, they should have a chance with competing against most of these teams, even the better ones. Uh, Rui Diaz, you know, he dominated Liga MX for a couple of years before he came to the Sounders. And, you know, Ladero's that quality of player. Jordan Morris is that quality of player too. So uh, I definitely think that that's like your good start. I just, I would feel some reservations about having to lean on Jordy DeLem and Danny Leva over the course of an entire Champions League run. Maybe they can do it. Uh, I, yeah, I think that's a fair, that's a fair concern. And yeah, and you know, I, at bare minimum, you just don't know. You don't have any idea as to if that's going to work or not. Well, yeah. it's, and it's like you said, it's a lot. It's one thing to ask them to get a result in a given game. But it's another thing to say, okay, uh, we need eight games out of this pairing. Yeah. And we're going to navigate, you know, some of the, these veteran teams from Central America and some potentially, you know, world-class teams from Mexico with this kind of makeshift central midfield, which kind of feels like you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Yeah. I mean, currently, so if they've signed – ship to come back they've got 20 rostered players right and they'll probably like maybe they bring up a couple guys from tacoma but i they're gonna need to make some actual signings beyond that just yeah i mean you figure they got to make at least what like five signings from outside the like like real first team signings at least probably so i mean i don't know who those guys are i think it's probably smart to you know, not put themselves in a bad situation, not knowing what the CBA is going to look like just yet. But I, they've got to do something. They've got like, right months to do it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's and I, I know it's like the timing currently is not should not be concerning. It's December 9th, right? And uh, like as of today, I'm not really worried. But I guess what has me worried is hearing what Garth has said, which is. Yeah, you know, until a CBA gets signed, we we're not really gonna knock ourselves over to to get guys uh, under contract, and that's understandable from a you know long term roster building perspective. But like the CBA might not be signed when they play that first Champions League game. Like there's a pretty good like there's definitely a world where uh, the you know the deadline passes on January 31st and the MLS players basically extend, you know, play under the old CBA until the last minute, which is March, you know, the March for, or February 29th is when games are going to start. And it would not be crazy to think that uh, the for, at the very least, the first Champions League game would be played without a new CBA signed. Yeah. And the first Champions League game is on February 20th. Right. So like you're going to, sign someone February 1st and then get them here and get them all integrated and just good to go by then. Like I, that seems pretty dicey too. Like I, I get what he's saying as far as waiting for the CBA, but if it takes all the way up until then, doesn't he, don't they kind of have to operate earlier than that? Yeah. Meanwhile, SKC just signed Alon Pulido from Chivas. So. Hey, yeah, I did see that. They got, they got. Oh, did they? Plan. So that's, that's official. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. I really thought he was going to go to the Quakes, but that's uh, I mean, that's the striker that they've needed for the last five years or whatever. Yeah. yeah. To think they just signed Kyrie Shelton too. Mm-hmm. That's Kyrie Shelton is who they would normally try and roll with, and Alan Polito is the guy that everyone's been saying that they need to uh, sign forever. But yeah, I mean, there's another threat in the West for you. Yeah, yeah. Alan Polito. That's no. That's no joke. No, he's uh, good. He was like the young stud on that 2013 uh, Tigris team. Also, mm-hmm. uh, that was a long time ago. But he was very young at that time, and uh anyway uh yeah that's that is quite the bit of news i'm thanks for breaking that on the bring that to me tim um all right well anything else uh anything else you got twirling around in your head during this this so far quiet off season i mean i guess the news from today that harry ship is coming back is uh you know that's that's news uh because you know there's a guy who can play that spot we were talking about yeah, uh, where you know, uh, if they feel inclined to slide him in there, and then you don't have to move Roldan up. Um, I mean, and they, uh, Joven Jones, I suppose, can also. I mean, Joven Jones started MLS Cup, and they could start. You know, they could start New Who at left back. Yeah, uh, I just you know, I, there I have questions as to whether whether that lineup could really hang with a with the top level Liga mix opponent. But I don't I don't know. I don't think it's out of the question. Harry Ship is he's a good player. He's been productive when he's gotten his minutes. You know, like I think people think of him as more of a depth piece, which he definitely is, but he's he's a guy who's shown he can he can produce when he gets the minutes. They're just at the end of last year there just weren't a lot of minutes for him. But I mean, I think it's it's good they're bringing him back in the sense that you need guys like that, especially when you're trying to balance Champions League with the with the league season. So, yeah, he's, I mean, he's definitely a good player. He's not super athletic or mobile, I guess. But if they can, you know, make the system work where he doesn't have to do as much of the physical stuff and just like play balls for Jordan to run onto, I think. The times when he gets in trouble is when his body can't move as fast as his mind does, but they can play a little bit more possession and let him spray balls around. I think that's a good good position to be in right now. Yeah, I mean it's a good it's 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 a solid signing. It it I think it relieves some of the immediate pressure on having to feel like you need to like I don't think they should sign they need to make a panic signing for a outside mid like they can probably navigate things um but it is getting to the point where like they need a warm body to play center. i'm just really yeah center back for sure i'm just really not looking forward to the tweets when they don't sign the winger and uh, yeah and then you know they're going to go on the champions league run if they get knocked out with that roster and then are also sacrificing some league results during that. Well, I mean, I, been it'll be like they never won the MLS Cup this last year. I'm telling you. I'm telling you right now. It's it's definitely frustrating that they've never gone into the knockout stages of Champions League with what you would consider to be a full roster. Like they always, there there always seems to be this kind of missing piece. Like when they signed in back, you go back to 2013 when they when they beat Tigris. 
they did that before Oba Martins showed up. And Oba Martins was not able to play in the Santos Laguna uh, series. Imagine how that might have gone differently if uh, Martins had been able to play. And they only lost by one goal in that Santos Laguna. They were one goal away from advancing against Santos Laguna. Um, so it's – and you, you can go through all their Champions League appearances, and they I don't think they've ever had three DPs on the roster in any of them. And so it's kind of one of those constant frustrations where they've never been fully – they've never been, like, at full operational – or full, full, fully operational when um, they've been in these Champions League games. So it would be kind of nice to see them give that a shot. But I – yeah, and I'm not really looking forward to the – to the people complaining about it, but I get it at the same time. Yeah. And you know, it's a fair, it's, I'm not trying to say, you know, that it's not a fair concerned or not something that makes sense to be annoyed at. I mean, at the same time, like recent history kind of shows the, the benefits of what you can get when you wait for that next window. I mean, like before they signed Ladero, like there was sustained outrage over the fact that they hadn't signed the number 10 yet. But then once they waited for him and they signed him, I think that one worked out pretty good. And it was like the same situation with Rui Diaz. So it's like a tough – it's a tough situation because, you know, they, this, they're they in a situation where they kind of need somebody right now. But you also you, – you don't want to sign the wrong guy. And so I don't know. It's just – that is what the logic is for people who do get annoyed with that. Like that is – that the situations with Ladero and Rui Diaz are like examples – of the benefit of waiting. So I don't know. I, I see both sides of it though. Like, especially cause there's been a lot of talk about how important champions league is, you know, and uh, you, you would want to see them go into it with as close to a just fully formed roster as possible. But I don't know, as it stands right now, it's just kind of not looking like that's going to be the case. It seems like they're probably going to go into it with a lot of what they have and, you know, a new center back, but I'm not seeing that winger come in this window. I no, guess, I'm, I'm getting that. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Unless someone falls into there. I mean, it's, it's always possible. I mean, I, I think my suspicion is they have a handful of targets that they see as players who are at the top of their wish list. And if for some re- some reason those players are available in January, they'll, do it in January, but that they're preparing for that not to be the case. Uh, Garth has also made a big point of saying, like, if we sign this player in January, that's going to limit our flexibility in the summer window, which for me is a worthwhile trade-off if that means that you can make a long, a deep Champions League run. Uh, you know, especially if you bring it, like, it, to me, it's like you can sacrifice just about anything you want. If you can win Champions League, I'd, I'd I'd honestly take a Champions League title over making the playoffs. Like, I think that's a worthwhile trade-off. Ooh, that's, a, that's an interesting discussion point. I don't know. You would add, so, if, if, if it meant winning the Champions League, you would sacrifice the playoffs in the playoff streak? I think I would, yeah. Like, the playoff streak itself is not super – I think it's more of an interesting footnote. It's – uh, but if I had to choose between qualifying for the playoffs and rolling the dice with how that goes and winning Champions League, I think I'd take – I almost always would take the trophy. I mean, I think 
you know, I, I think that TFC made an interesting and worthwhile gamble by going for it uh, in 2018. And if they, you know, if you don't win the Champions League final, it ends up looking really bad. Right. Uh, that's, the, you know, that's the it, that's a That's a good parallel because they were in pretty much the same situation. And they yeah. went for it. And they almost won it. But they did. They pretty much sacrificed that league campaign for it. Like Right. And, and so, I mean, that's the thing is that it's like you got to – finish the deal it's it, you don't get a lot of like your fan base isn't gonna be really understanding if you get to the final and lose uh, right and that was brutal because they lost on pks like they had that and they uh if i remember correctly like they they played tigris or who, who were they playing was it tigris uh they lost to chivas uh, that was the year they lost on PKs when it was. Uh, yeah, I think they lost. Didn't they lose to Chivas to uh, Mateus Almeida's Chivas? I'm I'm not sure. For some reason, I remember it being somebody different. But I think you're. I think you could be. Well, right. they did lose to they did lose to Tigris in the Campeones uh, Cup. Oh, maybe that's what I'm. And thinking. I think that's probably what you're thinking of. That's... I mean, either way, it was uh, that was that was brutal because they got. They got so close to actually pulling that off, and then they only lost it in PKs. Uh, but then their their league season tanked, so that's kind of the risk you run. And I do think it's just it's it's always a dicey bet because even if you go into Champions League with your roster stock full, there is like absolutely no guarantee that you're gonna make the final or win the final. Um, right. So you could you always risk putting yourself in a situation where you make a deep run or you just commit a lot to it. And then if you don't win it, it's like, doesn't pay off. And then you've got whatever repercussions you're going to face from that during the week. Yeah. I mean, that's it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the, that is the challenge. It's that it's like you put all these resources into, you know, trying to do this. And unlike the scenario that we are imagining, there's no guarantee, like you don't actually get to trade uh, missing the, like you don't, all you do is you get to, like the, the real question is, would you trade an opportunity to win uh, Champions League if you knew it was going to cost you the playoffs? And that's a harder question, I think. Yeah, I mean, you see all the time what it can do. Like, look at uh, Kansas City uh, this last season. Like, Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm not as convinced that Kansas City's struggles were directly attributable to – Winning one chance. I mean, they only won. Didn't they only get to the quarterfinals? Well, I'm talking more about the how many injuries they had in it. Yeah, I know, but they only played. I mean, I don't. I I, I feel like that became the narrative. I don't know that that. I don't know that the Champions League was really the culprit for their. They had they had a lot of injuries, and then and some of them weren't from Champions League. But I feel like maybe I'm misremembering. But I feel like they had a few. Suffered in in Champions League, and I mean there was a multiple factors that went into that, but their season absolutely torpedoed. It was uh, it was bad. Yeah, I think they also had a pretty bad team that looked good in a handful of games. That they also then sort of got I don't know lured into continuing to try to play the style that they played, where they looked good in Champions League and especially once they got hit by injuries and had some pretty bad center back play. They just weren't ever going to be able to actually do that effectively, but still, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a tough, 
proposition. And this definitely looked like going into the off season, it seemed like maybe this would be their real opportunity, especially, you know, the last few champions league runs. It's either, you know, lose Oba right before champions league starts or lose Jordan Morris to injury at the beginning of their champions league run. Uh, They seemed set to make a run and then you lose Rodriguez Torres and Kim and, you're sort of having to start your team over from scratch almost at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it all has risk, right? But anyway, uh, I would hope that the Sounders give it a, a good shot. I, I kind of, I really do enjoy champions league. I feel like that's the one jewel in the crown. I mean, it is the one jewel in the crown that they, they don't have. And I'm a nerd like that. And I kind of want to see it. I want to see. I'm a I'm a completionist, you know. I want to see the the Sounders win the uh, the treble of of uh, over the the franchise. They want to. I want them to be the first team to be able to say they won all three of the all three of those. So yeah, and don't get me wrong when I uh, when I say that uh, an MLS team winning Champions League doesn't necessarily mean that. Uh, MLS is on par with League MX and all that. Like, an MLS team winning it would be huge. I mean, it's never been done before, and uh, it, would, it would mean a lot. And uh, it would be, like, a huge frontier for the franchise for sure. So um, it's definitely going to be worth watching. And I love Champions League, too. I mean, the shenanigans – are are crazy but it's kind of it's it's all part of it you know like you're going to be watching the games and you're going to see some calls from the officials where you're like what in the app like I don't even see that in MLS games you know and people complain about MLS officials all the time this is its whole new level of bizarro officiating you see stuff in these games that is just absolutely unfathomable and it's pretty funny and it's great so I I'm definitely looking forward to all that Yeah, I love Champions League, and I'm glad that they're back in it. That's probably a good place to to call it a, a show. Uh, thanks for listening to the Center at Heart podcast. Uh, make sure to follow us on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever else you are listening to us on. Uh, we will be recording throughout the off season, uh, and if you really want to do something nice, you can give us a, a review on one of those. And, you know, those five-star reviews are, are just like gold, I hear. Uh, that's what all the podcasters uh, say, anyway. Um, but I'm Jeremiah O'Shan, signing off for Ari Lillianwall. Lillianwall, geez, I just fell over that You've one. been on a roll with it lately, though. I know. And uh, Tim Foss, this is the Sounder at, Pod, Sounder at Heart podcast, and uh, we'll see you around.